0: Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. jumping into our study this morning. We are continuing to look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and we are actually kind of winding down. We're looking at these last couple of chapters. There's just three chapters left. We're going to be looking at chapter 11 today, and as I mentioned last week, uh, there's a bit of a transition in Paul's topic in the last four chapters of this letter, and Paul has a deep concern and a care and in fact, a worry, or he uses the word fear in chapter 11 for the church because of false teachers and false apostles. And so Paul has been defending the authenticity of his calling and of his authority and of his ministry. We saw that in the last chapter, that uh, Paul's authority comes with divine authenticity. It wasn't a, uh, a, a position that Paul earned based on performance, but it was the providence of God and the calling of God, and so we've been able to see Paul talk a little bit about his story and his and his testimony, not only his personal testimony, but in chapter 11, which we're going to look at today, we see the testimony of his ministry. We're basically going to, basically going to see his resume, and uh, if you've ever applied for a job and you filled out a resume and you put it on Monster, whatever ink it, it is, or Well, maybe that's a movie, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But the monster website for your resumes, I probably got that wrong. Indeed, or whatever it is, you know that you really want to sell yourself, right? You want to put all the best stuff up there, all your experiences, and that's good. You want to share about those things that uh, are good about you. You talk about your education and your experience and your skills and your knowledge and your abilities. It's natural to want to do that. And Paul is going to compare and contrast his resume with the resume of the false teachers. In fact, the first part of chapter 11, Paul is uh, coming against not only the teaching, but also the insincerity of these false apostles. And at the end of this chapter, he talks about his persecution. So what we're going to look at today, kind of the title of the message is, Applauding the Appalling. And that is because Paul experienced a lot of persecution and a lot of suffering. And we usually don't praise those things, or acknowledge them, or celebrate them. But Paul is going to applaud it. He's going to praise it. He's going to uh, boast in the sufferings of Christ as really the testimony or the validation of his calling and of his ministry. So the point that we want to remember today is that Paul's testimony is validation of his ministry. We're going to see that that resume. And just a very simple outline for us as we read through this chapter. The first is Paul is going to worry about the inaccurate preaching that is happening in the church. Secondly, Paul is going to warn against the insincere preachers or the false apostles or false teachers, as he calls it. And then lastly, we're going to see Paul welcome or even celebrate the intense pressures or persecutions that he experiences in the ministry. So a lot of things to get to. We're going to jump into verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little bit of folly, and indeed you bear with me. Now, Paul uses this word folly, or he would go on in this chapter to say, I'm speaking foolishly, because the last thing that Paul wanted to do was talk about himself. He didn't want to talk about his accomplishments. In fact, Paul would say in another epistle that he considers his achievements and his accomplishments as trash, And he would rather boast in his infirmities and in his weaknesses because in his weakness there is the strength of God perfected. So he's depending upon God's strength. So he calls it folly or foolishness. But he feels the need to defend himself and address this in order to contrast the personalities and the teaching and the doctrine and the character. Because if you remember in the last chapter, these false teachers were attacking his character and his ministry They were also attacking his outward appearance. They were saying he's weak and cowardly. And Paul said, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. You might want to have someone who's really charismatic and a super saint and someone who is really polished and has the panache, if you will, of someone who is a celebrity. But Paul says in this chapter that he didn't have great speech, but he had the knowledge of God and he passed on the gospel. And so he says, bear with me a bit as he shares about this folly. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now, we wouldn't think about jealousy being a good quality or characteristic. But we also read in the Scriptures that God is a jealous God. And it deals with the relationship and the intimacy that we have with God as, uh, as, as uh, being close to Him. And jealousy, we think of, you know... A bad characteristic or a quality where we see something that someone has and we envy it or we're jealous of. We think that if we had what other people had, then we would be happy or we would be content. Now, at the end of the previous chapter, Paul said that we don't commend ourselves the way other people commend themselves. We would dare to compare ourselves even to other people. And comparison with other people is just going to make you depressed Because there's always going to be somebody pretty or handsome. There's always going to be somebody with more money or more successful. You see, the point of life is not comparing ourselves to other people, but being faithful with what God has called us to do, with the resources and the time and the talents that God has given us. There's only one thing that's required of a follower and a servant of Jesus Christ, and that is that we be faithful. And Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many is the... Apostles said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, those who would learn to be the servant of all will be great. So there is success in serving. And Paul really brings that to a head here in this chapter. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now there's something to be said about the spiritual or godly jealousy. This this talks about care and concern that Paul has for the church. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul is using an analogy, and it's a metaphor that is throughout the Scriptures in dealing with the church. You see, the church is not the steeple. It's the people, right? It rhymes. We can remember that, I guess. It's not the location. It's not the address. The church is not the building. The church are the people. And in the Scriptures, the people of God are described as the building of God, in fact, Jesus is the chief cornerstone upon which everything is plumb and in line. And upon that is the foundation of the apostles' teaching. And upon that are you and I as living stones being built together as the temple or the dwelling place or, or the pres- where the presence of God is. But the church is also described as uh, the body of Christ. And uh, in the body of Christ metaphor, we see that we are all diverse and in our diversity, There is unity, but we are interdependent upon one another, just as the body has many members, so the spiritual body of Christ has many members. And we build up, and we courage, and we work in unison and harmony uh, in order to accomplish what God desires. But we're also told that that, uh, the the church is um, not only the body, the building, but is also the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, it speaks of the intimate relationship that we have being betrothed. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, you see that our relationship with God is described as marriage. But when we disobey God and when we walk away from God, it's like committing spiritual adultery. When we put other things in the place of God or we pursue other things above God, then God calls that spiritual adultery or walking away from God. And so Paul is using this analogy of uh, being married to God in our relationship with Him. And so, Paul, I guess, is like the father of the bride here. (laughs) I betrothed you to one husband. And uh, so, he's the father of the bride, spiritually speaking, in this role of care and concern and nurturing and protecting the church, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, Uh, there's the, the, the analogy of being holy and pure before God. And there's nothing that you and I can do to be holy and pure. In fact, the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to God's mercy that he saved us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even though our sin may be as red as scarlet and filthy, we can have our sins forgiven and be made white as snow. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ. When we come to the the one who we are betrothed to and married to and close relationship with, we are made pure and holy in that relationship. And so Paul is saying, I was a matchmaker. This is a spiritual e-harmony, I guess. I don't know what the deal is there. But he, Paul, presents the church to Christ. And so he says, but I fear. Everyone say fear. Now this is a deep concern. He's worried about something that is dangerous happening in the church. I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Don't we always want to complicate things? We just want to overcomplicate it and overthink it and just try to figure all this stuff out. It's good to use our minds. God has given us those things. But many of the things that uh, we walk, the scripture says we walk by faith and, and not by sight. There's a a sense of faith and believing and trusting. And we complicate things with all this deep stuff. And Paul is saying, you know what? The gospel is pretty simple. And if it's being manipulated and twisted and it's really hard and it's really challenging and there's a lot of laws and regulations and, uh, and you're really stressed out, then I wonder if that might be a different gospel. Because Jesus took the Pharisees and the scribes to task during his ministry and said, you are putting a burden upon people with all of these laws and regulations, but you won't even live according to these laws. And on the outside, you look like whitewashed tombs, meaning you look really pure and look really all together on the outside. You look holy on the outside, but inside, Jesus said, if you look below the surface, inside is full of dead bones. There's a contradiction in your life. On the outside, it looks good. But on the inside, it's far from God. And so Paul talks about the serpent. And he says, 4, in verse 4, If he who comes, this is very important. If he who comes preaching another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you received a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul is concerned that if they hear a different gospel or receive a different spirit or hear a different Jesus, then they might be inclined to receive it and to accept it. And so Paul expresses his deep worries about the inaccurate preaching that may be occurring in the church. And as we had already mentioned, Paul expresses a sense of spiritual jealousy because he sought to guard and to protect the church. As the spiritual father. And yet, uh, I think this is wonderful insight into a pastor or or a servant or a minister. Because Paul was not taking control of the people. He was not saying you belong to me. He was saying you belong to God. I have betrothed you to Jesus. He is the one you have the relationship with. And that's not to say that a pastor or a spiritual leader uh, should not be respected and, and, and honored and appreciated. These are wonderful things, and it's a, it's a humbling position to be in. But it's not a title or a power or authority thing. And, uh, and so Paul is saying, you don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus. And so uh, you, he's your husband. And so the church, or you and I, it, we're faithful not to a person, not to an organization, not to a denomination, Uh, not to a leader, but we're faithful to Jesus. And God often uses people, he will use people, to encourage us, to teach us, to, to help us, to edify us, to build us up. That's a great thing. But we are faithful to Jesus because he's faithful to us. I betrothed you to Jesus and Jesus alone. But be careful because there is an enemy of your soul. And I find it interesting that Paul mentions Satan and the devil twice in this chapter, but handfuls of times in his letters to 1st and 2nd Corinthians because there is a great delusion. There is a deception. And Paul goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Satan used the the tactics of manipulation to deceive. In fact, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. He's like a roaming lion looking for whom he can devour. But he's also a subtle serpent, I guess, if you will. And the scriptures at the et- go, go on to say in this chapter that he's like a shifting angel as well. He transforms himself into an angel of light to look like something that he's not. But as a subtle serpent, from the very beginning, even to this day, Satan has always been questioning the goodness of God and the badness of sin what do I mean by that? Well, Satan said to Eve, did God really say? Questioning the, the truth of God's word, bringing up these sort of questions and doubts in our minds about the goodness of God. Well, the goodness of God is that God created all of creation for man to enjoy, partake of all of the fruit in the garden of Eden, except for this one, which introduces free will and obedience. And love and appreciation for God. But Satan came along and had us doubt and question the goodness of God. But also the badness of sin. Because Satan said, you will not surely die. Well, we will in disobedience to God. No, you will be like God. And the fruit was good to see. And it was pleasant. And the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. Satan is constantly luring you and I. And he does that as well. Uh, Through the senses, but also in teaching. And so Paul says, we should be vigilant. And vigilance is needed to expose the sneaky lies of the devil. How do they teach bank tellers and people who process money to identify counterfeit money? Well, they give them the real deal. And when you have the real deal, when you have the real Jesus, and when you have the Holy Spirit, and you have the powerful scriptures in your hand and in your heart, for you to see and for you to know and for you to understand, then you are able to have the perception and the discernment, the spiritual discernment to see those either people or teaching uh, who are trying to deceive you, who are trying to put burdens of yoke, of bondage upon you that are not from the Lord. And so we take everything that some people might say and we align it with the Word of God. Now that's what I would say on a Sunday morning, please do. Absolutely. Uh, That would be what you might hear in a podcast from another preacher or pastor or influential leader. That would be something that you see on television and you say, you know what? That just doesn't seem quite right. Is this a different Jesus? Is this a different gospel? Because Paul is going to go on to say that I presented the gospel free of charge and the gospel means good news. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that God has done through Christ what we could never do. Sending his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, you can't have the good news without the bad news, and the bad news is that we have all sinned, and because of that sin, our relationship with God has been severed. We see that from the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden, even until now. But that's the gospel of Christ that Jesus is laid down his life in order to forgive us of our sins. We can't earn, we can't buy, we can't obtain God's love in our own works. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And there's a deception, Paul says, that a different gospel is dangerously demonic distractions. And there could be things that you may hear that are just trying to entice you and lure you away. And uh, I think it's so very important for us In our day and age in our culture to be so close to the real deal the genuine Jesus and the only way you're gonna know the genuine Jesus is through his word to you and I there isn't anybody who needs to tell you what the scriptures mean although there are great pastors and teachers who have the gift to help you that's good but When you open up your Bible and you open up your heart and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you've been transformed and born again, you have the truth. And to draw near and close to Jesus will uh, shine a brighter light on the darkness and deception of this world. The Bible says that there will be a great delusion. And I wonder if some of that might be spreading across our globe even right now. Paul says, be careful. Don't allow a different gospel to distract you from the true gospel. Now, he talks about the preaching, but he also is going to talk about those preachers who are coming with that preaching. And we see that in verse 5. Paul says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now, the most eminent apostles is an interesting phrase because Paul is talking about the super apostles, those who are seeking fame and fortune for themselves. They want the title. They want the recognition. And so Paul is contrasting himself in humility with those who are the celebrity pastors, those who are perfect and look good on the outside. And uh, Paul goes on to say that even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. I find it interesting because Paul talks about his weaknesses and inabilities in ministry. And one of those, as we looked at in 1 Corinthians as well, we see here in 2 Corinthians, is that he didn't feel like he was a great speaker. He didn't uh, have a polished speech, but yet he knew God. In fact, I heard about a a story uh, about a king who was hosting... Uh, a dinner for many people in his kingdom. I got you riveted, right? You're ready for the story. Of course. Uh, you're like, wow, okay, tell me about this king. But, uh, and he invited lords and, and bakers uh, as well as farmers and peasants. And uh, each person had to give some type of speech or performance during the, during the dinner. And one of the lords, one of the very popular, powerful, influential people stood up and he quoted Psalm 23. And uh, if you're not familiar with Psalm 23, it's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the greatest passages in Scripture. And uh, he was so brilliant in the way that he articulated and the fluctuations of his voice and the articulation of his hands. And he just had everybody riveted in his speech in uh, Psalm 23. And then it was the farmer's turn. And he chose to actually recite the same psalm. And he stood up and he fumbled through Psalm 23. It was not as... uh, brilliant or, uh, you know, even pleasant. And he was just kind of fumbling through. And then he sat down. And uh, what was remarkable is that the the ruler, the, the one who uh, shared Psalm 23, stood up. And he says, I want to confess that I know Psalm 23, but this man knows the shepherd. And I thought, wow, you know what? That's a great story to help us understand that We can have all the knowledge and we can have really perfect on the outside, but if we don't know Jesus, then we've missed the scriptures. We've missed out. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Because on the outside, Paul is comparing these false teachers and false apostles as the eminent super celebrity teachers, but yet they didn't know Jesus. And so he says, did I commit, verse 7, sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? And, uh, and I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. And so, I will keep myself. And as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I do, I will also continue to do. That I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Paul was going to boast more and more about his weaknesses, while others were going to boast more and more about their accomplishments. For those who boast about their accomplishments to be seen and regarded and commended by men are those, in verse 13, these are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself Into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their work. So, just pausing there and looking at Paul's warning against the insincere preachers. Paul calls them false apostles, but he also talks about his demotion, and uh, that demotion is found in Paul's humility. In fact, Paul's inferiority is contrasted with the superiority of others. And Paul is going to go on to say that uh, he has a calling of God, and he has the authority of God, but he's also very humble. He calls himself a minister in the following verses. And uh, this word minister is uh, the same word that we get our word deacon from today. So it means a servant. It means someone who would wait on tables and... uh, Those who would travel around would actually charge a speaking fee in this time and during this region. So if you didn't have a speaking fee and you're doing this free of charge, meant, well, you probably didn't have really good credentials. And you didn't have a lot of good references. And uh, you couldn't be trusted because you didn't charge a speaking fee. And Paul says, I'm not going to charge anything. The gospel is free of charge. God shall supply, as Paul said, all your need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, there were other churches who were supporting him, but Paul was not going to require this and demand this of people. In fact, we also know that he worked hard as a a tent maker and uh, earning and working his way through, but uh, he was also very humble. He wasn't looking for a title or for a position. And his duty, as he saw it, was to present the gospel free of charge. You know, even though Paul did not charge a fee, his preaching was priceless because it was straight from the Lord. Paul says, I deliver to you that which I first received. And when there is just a simple conduit, of the word of God through a person in your life, it's just refreshing, isn't it? It's encouraging. It builds you up and inspires you and helps you grow in Christ in the knowledge of God. Paul says, even though there wasn't a charge, this was priceless. It was truth. And you can see that in the ministry as well. But there's also these types of lies and inaccuracy. Satan transforms himself as an angel of light, but also just a little bit of truth Mixed in with a lot of lie, right? And uh, that's how we understand what is true and what is not true. Because a lie that is partly true ends up being entirely false. And sometimes we can have a little bit of truth mixed in with some teaching, but it's just poisoned with a lot of falsehood. And we can be deceived. But Paul says, be careful of the inaccurate preaching, but also of the insincere preachers who are trying to commend themselves to other people. And it's really deception and deceit. Now, Paul was concerned that the church was going to accept these false teachers and just go with the flow and accept them and accept their teaching. But Paul says, it is dangerous to put up with those who should be cut off. Paul says, those should be cut off from you. You should not endure their manipulation and their tactics or even their different gospel and teaching. So basically, Paul says, it's very important for us to have sound doctrine, sound teaching, truthful uh, truth rooted in the word of God. And so that's why we go through the Bible. We read it. We study it. I love to hear the pages Or the swiping, I can't hear your swiping, but if you're swiping on your mobile device, I love to see us as a church working and walking through the scriptures and knowing that it's God's word that's going to change us. It's not mine. It's not my three-point whatever sermon or points that are up on the screen. Although that helps us. It helps us understand. I, I get that. But if we are not being introduced to Jesus, then we've missed the whole point of being here today. We've missed the whole point of church. We've missed the whole point of being a follower of Jesus. It's being introduced to him. It's knowing him. It's walking close to him. It's not having a knowledge of God. And uh, the Bible says also in the end times that there will be a form of godliness, but there will be the not the denying of the power of God. And what is the power of God? The power of God is uh, the changing of lives. The power of God is the transforming. The power of God is Breaking the chains of addiction. The power of God is healing marriages that are on the rocks. The power of God is bringing back prodigals. The power of God is delivering men and women from sexual addiction and immorality. The power That's the power of God. And when you have the power of God in the midst of the people of God, and the word of God is just unleashed, then there is just an awesome move of God. And so we just step back and we say, Wow, we don't want to be deceived. We want to see truly... Uh, for what is happening in our lives and in our world around us. And he says, cut it off, remove it, turn it off, change the channel, uh, delete the app. I don't know. What, wherever that deception is coming from, don't put up with it because it's going to put you into bondage. It's going to put you into rules and regulations of tradition and of ceremony, and it's going to confine and restrain you. But Jesus says, I have come to set you free, and uh, free indeed. So there is a deliverance that Jesus brings, and Paul is very concerned about this, and he expresses it in very clear terms, but he also reveals some of the challenges and his testimony and resume as we would read through the remaining verses here. We're going to skip down to verse 22 because... In 16 through 21, Paul talks about how it's really foolishness to be talking about these things, but it's necessary to share with you my testimony. In verse 22, Paul says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And what are the marks of Paul's ministry? Here we see his testimony his work experience, and even his education. And uh, his education was the school of hard knocks. He learned how to be a servant. In fact, as Jesus said, those who will be great in the kingdom of God will be will those who will learn to be a servant of all. It's not easy. It does not come easy to us in our flesh to humble ourselves, to be ministers. As I said earlier, this word minister means to be a servant to encourage and build up other people it means to come under people and lift them up that means that we have to die to ourselves. i love the song that we sang earlier because uh you know talking about how we die to our ourselves and we're no longer living for ourselves in fact we're looking out not only for our own interests but also for the interests of others it's the heart and mind of christ and in his humility and service and sacrifice to other people And so in ministry or even as a follower of Jesus, Paul is going to say that there is some lonely times ahead. There are some difficult times ahead. It's something that you and I sign up for when we follow Jesus. Now, many of the sufferings and persecutions that we experience in life as a follower of Jesus here in sunny San Diego pale in comparison to what Paul the Apostle experienced. It's inconceivable to think about being stoned and whipped and beaten and shipwrecked. Anybody have it, those experiences on your spiritual resume for Christ? Probably not, maybe to some degree, but not to that extent. And so, as a follower of Jesus, we know that we also identify with his sufferings. And yet, Paul lives a life of others-focused He could care less about his safety and of his comfort. But he is doing all that he can to serve and minister to others. So he says, are they ministers? I speak foolishly. In my ministry, there are labors. I've labored more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That's, that's, That's beatings. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was, that's picking up rocks and throwing them at a person to, uh, f- to, to cause death. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city." in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So there we see uh, the physical sufferings, the material sufferings of Paul. But then he shines the light on his spiritual concern as Pastor Paul shares for all the churches, besides all these other things, what comes upon me daily. I think there's a burden upon the pastor here and a burden for the souls of the flock. Now, uh, a pastor is not responsible for people before the Lord, but he is responsible in the ministry. Uh, It's not responsible for the decisions and the things that people do in their lives, but he is responsible to care and to nurture to teach and to admonish, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? There is a a humbling uh, responsibility that a pastor has. But he's expressing this deep concern, and that goes every single day. Basically, he's saying, I can't shake this. It's upon my heart as I pray for you as the church every single day. Who is weak, Paul says in 29. Am I not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Paul says that I'm going to boast and I'm going to praise God in my weaknesses. And those things that may look vulnerable and weak to other people. But it is the mark of my ministry, as Paul said. A minister is a person of humility. It's not a position of authority. And many people want the title. I'm the minister. I'm the pastor. I'm the uh, apostle. I'm the deacon. Uh, whatever it is. Titles. I know over the years, many of you have asked me, uh, what what should I call you? And I said, well, I'll respond to, hey, you. That works just fine. Hey, you, please, can I get your attention? Sure. And uh, well, okay, if you want to call me pastor, that's fine, but I'm just Sherwood. And uh, let's just sit down and talk. Very simple, right? Be very approachable. And uh, so there are many people who want a title and a position, a minister, a minister of authority. Well, a minister of authority, you can't have authority unless you've served. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you get down in the midst, when you get down in the pit, when you get down in the sorrow, and when you walk people through and you go through the, the, the difficulties and the pains and pressures of life, then that relationship is so close. And Paul is saying, I have such concern for you. And Paul's credentials, as you would think, would be on his achievements, but it's not. Paul's credentials listed here were terrible torments, not incredible achievements. Paul pointed to the torments and the tortures and the pressures and the persecutions. He pointed to those as that which would uh, be a mark of success in his ministry. And ultimately, he says, I'm going to boast in my infirmities. I'm going to praise God in my difficulties. You see, Paul's hardship was the source of his worship. It was the source. When he was going through difficulty, when he was going through pressures, it it caused him to worship that much more. And that's hard for us to not only acknowledge and say, but it's very hard for us to practice and do. That we would praise the Lord and say, God, thank you for this trial. Thank you for this hardship. Because it's producing in me character and character hope. It's producing in me Christ-like character. You see, when Paul was in the deepest of pits, he had the highest of praise. His praise was so sweet to the Lord. He was lifting up his praise. There's a song that we sing here at the church. We give you the highest praise. Well, it's easy to give God the highest praise when we have the best things going on. But God is calling us to also give him the highest praise When we're in the deepest of pits, when we're in hardship and infirmity, when there's challenge and difficulty, when there's pressures on every side, because we know that Jesus, we're betrothed to Jesus. He is faithful. So we're going to have our worship team come on up and lead us in a closing song. But stay with me here. Just a couple of takeaways. You might be thinking, well, what are we going to learn about the Apostle Paul's resume and testimony? I think there's a lot for us to take away. Couple things that uh, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about as we sing this song. Talk to God about those things, but we can also be reminded to stay close to God's word, because when we're close to God's word, it's the best way to expose Satan's lies. Satan's lies about you and your worth before God. Satan's lies about other uh, teachings that would try to choke you out in your joy and in your calling and Uh, as a follower of Jesus. So use God's word as a way to expose the lies of Satan, but also be careful not to be controlled by false teachers, false leaders, or be enamored or mesmerized by their polish and by their celebrity status. Well, God may give somebody a platform of great influence, but it should also be accompanied with a huge amount of humility and grace and mercy as a minister of others, not as a minister of position. And then, lastly, we all can, even this week, focus on ways to put the needs of others first. Paul is basically saying that God is calling us to pursue a life that is others focused. My deep concern for the church, my humility in ministry towards others there's great opportunities that we can do that maybe in our own home or in our neighborhood or in our work or even in our schools. so with that let's pray our gracious heavenly father we thank you for that grace that does sustain us in the midst of these types of difficulties and challenges it's hard for us to get our heads around all that Paul is expressing because we probably will not experience that and yet we also know that we have hardships and you walk with us and I pray for anyone in this room or those who are joining us online who feel like they are in a pit and there are stones being thrown at them in every direction and they are weaving and bobbing Aimlessly shipwrecked in the sea of life. I didn't plan on this, but if if you're going through a a personal hell right now, if you're going through a very difficult time, just as their eyes are closed, would you raise your hand? I want to remember to pray for you this week. If you're going, I see your hands. Any hands? Any hands? If you're going through hardship, it's a pit, and you don't see or understand or how this works, I'm going to pray for you and I want to encourage you that Jesus is worthy of praising him right now with that hand that is acknowledging your hardship. Keep that hand raised in worship, praising him, thanking him for his faithfulness. God, I lift up these men and women who are in difficult times. May it refine their faith in you and strengthen their trust in you. I pray also that you would help us not to be deceived, have spiritual discernment and eyes in how you are moving and working in our lives. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.